we starting? Bienvenidos familia de Arizona, es Daniel Rodríguez con Arizona Uplift Azul. First of all, I grew up undocumented in this country, and for the majority of my life, I was told that I couldn't do things. When I grew up and I was told that I couldn't go to college, I couldn't go and follow my dream, I decided to find a way. And the first step that I took was to share my story. I'm doing the podcast, our pilot episode of Azul, so that I can have the stories of individuals that are affected by political and social issues at the national and state level here in our home, Arizona. We're gonna talk about a lot of issues. And the goal is to bring people that are really affected by it, but not just affected by it, that are creating the change around the issues that we need. So welcome to our first episode of Azul. And I wanna start with my love for the Beatles. Danny, have you seen the Beatles? Uh, new documentary, Get Back? Not the documentary. No, I have not. Okay. Well, and by we're all familia here at Azul, including Danny and myself. So I also want to thank Danny for helping us produce uh, this episode and hopefully future episodes. Danny, I'm from Monterrey, as you know. Uh, and Monterrey, while it's not the capital of rock in, in Mexico, we have a lot of amazing, amazing rock artists that come out of Monterrey, like Plastilna Mosh, like El Gran Silencio, which we went to go see recently, uh, Kinky, and... Growing up, rock was a big, big, big part of sort of my music uh, influence. And the Beatles have been a band that has influenced me for many years. But they came out. So this new documentary came out, Get Back. And it's amazing. It's like freaking 20 hours. You know, not that much. But it is three episodes of a few hours each. And they really get into what it takes to create the genius that was the Beatles, their creativity, uh, the way they play with each other, the, the drama, the crises that leads to even more, you know, genius. And so I really, really, really like this documentary and I recommend it for anyone to watch it. But another reason that I love the Beatles is because I'm a dreamer. And I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people have an issue uh, with the word dreamer. As you guys know, the dr word dreamer comes from the word dream act, uh, which is a bill that would help individuals like myself that grew up in this country without papers and have no, no other home. Uh, but the reason that I mentioned that is because the Beatles have a lot to do with dreamers and the Beatles have a lot to do with Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which is this program right now for individuals that grew up here to be able to stay here and work. For example, Danny, did you know that George Harrison from the Beatles was denied a visa uh, to stay in the U.S. and eventually had to get out in like 1974? Um, and he wasn't the only Beatle that had a problem with immigration. John Lennon, interestingly enough, also was about to be deported by immigration because of a marijuana violation that he had. And so why do I bring that up? And why is that story of John Lennon and the Beatles important for dreamers and for immigrants now? Because John Lennon's attorney, when trying to find a way to stop his deportation, he heard that immigration had this program or authority to essentially not deport people that they didn't want to deport for whatever reason. Individuals that perhaps, again, grew up here or were offering something to the U.S. that was of a national interest. And 
he couldn't find it anywhere. He couldn't find the law and immigration wouldn't give it to him until he submitted what is called a Freedom of Information Act request, a FOIA request. And what John Lennon's attorney found is that immigration has this power called pro prosecutorial discretion, where essentially immigration can exercise positive discretion to leave individuals here that would otherwise not have a reason to stay. And it was through prosecutorial discretion that John Lennon's attorney was able to essentially fight his deportation case. What does that have to do with anything right now? Well, as you guys know, we have been trying to fight uh, for immigration reform for a long time. And one of the first groups that received relief and protection were DREAMers or immigrant youth. Back in 2010, Danny, I was part of an organization called United with Dream, and we launched a national campaign called um, Education Not Deportation, essentially trying to educate individuals about the fact that many of us were getting deported. Even when President Obama was telling us that we were not getting deported, we knew we were. And we wanted to pressure the Obama administration to really do something about it and to stop our deportations. And so we used this concept of prosecutorial discretion that we learned and that John Lennon essentially helped us learn uh, and to force and pressure the Obama administration to give us relief. And through that, in 2012, the campaign ended successfully with what now is called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And so I do find it really interesting that we have this documentary, Get Back, where the Beatles are getting in the forefront. Everybody's talking about it. And for me, while I also love the Beatles for their music, I also have a lot of affinity for them because of this connection that they have with immigration and with a lot of the work that we did uh, for Dreamers and for immigrant youth. But where are we now, right? Like, what are we going to do? What's going on with immigration? I feel like every single year or every two years, there's a talk about immigration reform and it doesn't happen. And there's always excuses about why it doesn't happen. So let's talk about what the excuse today is. All so right. to give you. So first of all, I knew about, you know, the, the Beatles obviously were not American. I knew they were foreign. I never knew that they had immigration problems themselves. I just knew the Beatles are the biggest band in the world at that time. And probably still right now, the most recognizable name in, in rock history. But I didn't know all about that or about the marijuana charge, which is that we're seeing now full circle, everything come around. So just to clear things up, you're telling me because somebody loved their music so much and wanted to stop his deportation, that was the little snowball that made its way all the way here to DACA. <laughs> that, that, that's correct. It's crazy. And, and not just that, but this, this musical genius, this boy from Liverpool, wouldn't I'm assuming would have never thought that 60 years later his story and his immigration legal battle would lead uh, to to the relief of of millions of individuals like myself. That right. I had DACA, and so I have this direct connection, and that's I'm, I'm really excited about that because I love the Beatles, and I feel like I have this direct connection with John Lennon, sort of the original dreamer. Uh, I remember when we organized with United We Dream, and we did our you know national uh, meetings. We would always play this the song Imagine. And this is before even a lot of us knew the history of the Beatles and, and immigration. But I just feel so great to have that connection. But yes, because this individual was giving so much and he, he was giving so much to what Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan wrote a letter. Check this out. Bob mm -hmm. Dylan wrote a letter to the president. Um, and it's 
titled something like Justice for Yoko and Lenin. And then Bob Dylan said, you know, essentially you can't deport this individual because of everything that he's doing to, quote, America's art scene. Right. Uh, because at the time it wasn't much, of course. And so, yeah, initially immigration used their discretion and this, the attorney used prosecutorial discretion to continue to appeal his case by time. And then eventually he got a green card. Um, and, and yeah, that, that story. But not just that. You know, recently I've heard a lot of stories and I've seen a lot of stories of even people that I know that were fighting for immigration reform that during the Trump years were targeted by Trump. Um, immigration came after them. I know one individual that was wrongfully deported. He was able to come back after years of campaigning, uh, but he was targeted because of the work that he was doing and other activists, the work that they were doing with immigration reform. And many people believe that George Harrison and John Lennon were also targeted by immigration authorities because of the work that they were doing against the Vietnam War. And mm -hmm. George Harrison wrote a famous letter to President Nixon, essentially saying, you're a killer. You're killing people in Cambodia. You're doing yeah. all this in Vietnam. And so there was definitely a lot of uh, political uh, influence in, in their deportation cases. And, and again, look at the stories of dreamers now. Look at the stories of immigrant youth now, you know, getting into this areas where they're very politically charged and many of them being targeted by immigration, but also using that experience that John Lennon had to create relief for millions of us. And so it's, it's very interesting. And again, I, I have been doing nothing for the last two weeks since this uh, documentary <laughs> came out, but listening to their music and just reminiscing about the work that we've been doing around immigration. Definitely. And I feel like uh, a similar connection, like, as you know, I myself was a DACA recipient. It was my first taste of documentation here that kind of brought a huge calm to myself to be able to just be in the country, just be able to work, be able to to try something, try to make something of myself. And uh, of course, you know, I have you to thank for that. Uh, I know that you you're the one that helped me get through all that paperwork as you've helped dozens of dozens, if not hundreds by now of people um, all around Arizona. So we have you to thank for that and for this information that you're bringing out right here. So not just the uh, the legal information, but this this these kind of side stories. Like for me, I didn't know that I had a connection with John Lennon. Now I do. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, now, now we're going to go back and listen to the Beatles for the rest of the weekend. That's good. Uh, <laughs> but but no, and, and, and it, it is it is um, a very interesting connection because, you know, the word dreamer again. You know, um, it, it, it's not it's not just, you know, this this song from John Lennon, Imagine. It was something that really uplifted a lot of us in the movement. And I know that the board has become very you know, charged politically and socially and what it means and who it excludes and all of that. But at the end of the day, you know, there was a time when individuals like us didn't have a positive label. There was a time when we wanted to be part of something. There was a time when we wanted unity and to fight for something and to have hope for something. And so the word dreamer and knowing that you're not the only one brought a lot of strength to a lot of people to keep going. Uh, during a time where I, where I saw a lot of people give up. I saw a lot of people drop out of school. I saw a lot of people not being able to get out of bed. I saw a lot of people self-deport essentially. And so that connection of of imagining a world a world in which we can have our dreams accomplished our dreams realized you know it's it's been a very personal connection for me and i think also very important connection for the immigrant youth movement and so i just wanted to take that moment to pay tribute to the beatles whom i love so much uh 
But again, it's like, why are we not doing more? Why is it that every single time that we fight for immigration reform, there's always an excuse? And so, as you know, they're talking about immigration reform now. I'm not even going to call it immigration reform. It's immigration relief. Because the issue is that for years, we've never had enough votes to pass immigration reform. Um, and it, it, we saw it with the DREAM Act. Uh, it's been up for a vote two, three times. And it, if it doesn't fail in the House, it fails in the Senate. And in the Senate, we need 60 votes. So there's 100 senators. We need 60 votes to pass anything because if we don't have 60 votes, any one senator can invoke this rule called the filibuster, which means that instead of having 50, a majority vote of 51, now we need 60. Well, when is the last time that there were 60 Democrats in the Senate that would just pass immigration reform? It, 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 we haven't had that. And so every single time that this issue comes up, we don't have the votes and we always have excuses. And so what the Democrats are doing now is they don't have 60 votes, but they have a majority, barely a majority of 51 votes with the vote of the vice president. But instead of passing policy a law, they're trying to see what they can do within this process called reconciliation, which has to do with the budget, which has to do with finance and spending. But they're saying, you know what, we can we can do it through here because the impact that it's going to have to give people relief, to give people work permits. It's going to have a budgetary impact. It's going to it's going to have a, a fiscal impact. And so we can use this process. And the first time that this was introduced, it was introduced as part of a larger immigration relief proposal that the Senate parliamentarian essentially said that's a no go. By, by the way, the Senate parliamentarian, for people that don't know, so the Senate Every time that they're going to use this budget process to pass a bill, there's this individual that says, yeah, this is related to the budget and you can include it. Or no, this is not related to the budget. You cannot include it. That is called the Senate parliamentarian. Um, and the first proposal for immigration reform within the reconciliation bill was struck down because it wasn't something that related to the budget, according to this individual. The second one was struck down and now we're in the third plan C. The third plan is, okay, let's not give people citizenship. Let's not give people legal residency. Let's give people five years of parole, of work authorization, or of protection, uh, and then we'll go from there. And so we're waiting on a response from the Senate parliamentarian to see whether we can include this. And you know what? To be honest, I'm not very hopeful, but I also don't want to create more excuses for the Democrats because I think that they really need to act before the midterm elections. And if they don't, I do see them losing the Senate and losing potentially the House. One thing that I do want to also bring up is that the parliamentarian, as you've been describing them, uh, one th uh, very important, they are not an elected official. We did not put them in power to make decisions, and yet we're waiting on the decision to be made by them. So is there any way around the parliamentarian? Absolutely. So then let's say the parliamentarian says, we cannot include this in the budget. And by the way, there have been exceptions to this rule that we can only include strictly budget-related items in the reconciliation process. We've included other stuff in the past various times whenever there was a need for it. Um, they're talking about, for example, including voting rights to, uh, to create an exception for the filibuster before the reconciliation process has been used to uh, increase the visa availability. Uh, um, and in fact, some Republicans supported that. And so... The point is, if the Senate parliamentarian says you cannot include this, the Democrats can just say, OK, we're not going to follow that. The Senate parliamentarian is 
it, it, they, don't, they don't create love. They give recommendations. They give an opinion. But Kamala Harris, who's going to be the first, first, uh, first vote, can come and say, you know what? We're not going to follow that opinion. We believe that we can include this in the reconciliation process, and we will. And so we don't have to follow the, the opinion or the recommendation of the Senate parliamentarian. And that's important to note because we should not allow the Democratic Party to kind of hang their hats on excuses like, well, we can't do it because the Senate parliamentarian said we couldn't. Or if we delay this for a long time, we cannot let them hang the hat on. We, we can't do this because it's too late and the midterms are coming up. Um, I think that that's just BS, essentially, and that the Democrats have no excuse right now to act on this issue. So we'll see what happens, but I think that we're going to have news very soon. Um, hopefully we'll talk about that at the next episode. Whatever happens, I don't believe that the Democrats should be let off the hook. But I do believe that the reconciliation process is going to be the best way to move forward on this issue. Yeah, but it's, of course, not the only controversial thing that's going on uh, in, in today's news. And, and for the next thing, you know, have you ever seen like a group of white men typically talk about the issue of abortion, Danny? Oh, happens all the time. What, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? There's a middle-aged white dude in a bow tie <laughs> who's telling everybody what to do with their bodies. And, and, and why, why is a whole group of men talking about abortion, right? So I want to talk about the issue of abortion from a little different perspective, but I didn't want to be like just some guy, some man talking about the issue of abortion. So I brought someone with me that I want to really uh, have this conversation with because she's someone that I trust, someone that I've known for many years, um, and someone that... I think has a lot to say on this issue and that would give us a, a perspective on it from uh, a, an Arizona woman in terms of what it means to hear the issue of abortion and everything that's going on with the Supreme Court. So, Luisa, come on. <laughs> all right, so Luisa is all set up. Hi, lady. Hi, how are uh, you? Good. Luisa and I are friends. No, Luisa and I are family. Uh, I think that for probably all of our high school years yes. and through some of our college years, we had 95% of the people uh, duped in thinking that we were cousins <laughs> uh, because um, we spent a lot of time together in school. Yeah. Beginning in junior high. Yeah. People thought we were dating. People thought we were dating and we weren't. And uh, Boy, were know. they wrong. <laughs> yes, they were very wrong. They were, they were very, very wrong. I didn't know how wrong they were at that time. I did. Later on, I found out that that was not ever going to happen. Uh, but it, we needed to come up with an excuse. And so we just started telling people that we're we were cousins. Um, and and here we are still. Decades later, people are like heartbroken. Like, what? You're not cousins? I know. No, I remember when people started to find out. Yeah. And people felt. Deceived, yeah. They feel like this. You know, you lied to me for so many years. I thought you were you were cousins, but um, well, we had to. We had to do that. It was fun. Yeah, we had oh, to do that. All right, so abortion, such a heavy topic. It really is. It's such a heavy topic, and I know that a lot of people are talking about that right now, because a lot of crazy things happened during the Trump administration. One of them being that Trump appointed three Supreme Court justices to the Supreme Court. Now, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. The Supreme Court. And by the way, guys, I'm an attorney. I do immigration law and family law. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like watching the news. <laughs> yeah. So then um, I had to, like, of course, learn and, and study this in school. But 
the Supreme Court, as you guys know, is the highest law of the land, the highest court of the land, and essentially what they say is legal or not legal goes. Um, and when it comes to the issue of abortion, in the 1970s, the Supreme Court issued a decision called Roe v. Wade mm -hmm. that essentially stated that the women, a woman has a right to privacy that includes a right to terminate a pregnancy under within limitations, you know, before viability, within a certain time frame. Um, later on, right. other courts have typically put that around 24 months. Um, but that is a Supreme Court case that sort of gave women this right, you know, 24 gave 24 months. So 24 weeks, sorry. 24 oh weeks. <laughs> I hope okay, okay. I hope no woman is carrying a baby for 24 yeah. months. Scare me that for a second. <laughs> I mean, you know, some women carry their baby for 18 years at least, right? But uh, that's another story. So then, uh, so then, yeah. So then, the Supreme Court case, Roe v. Wade, gave women this right to terminate pregnancy within certain limits, and and the court since Roe v. Wade has changed, and in the last four years, it has changed dramatically because Trump appointed three ultra very conservative justices to the Supreme Court. And what Republicans have been trying to do for decades, which is undo Roe v. Wade, is now a very, very real possibility. And so I didn't want to be a guy up here talking about women's rights, even though <laughs> I support a woman's right to choose. I support abortion. Um, and I wanted to invite you to talk about this issue because... I know you because we're family. And I think that this issue for a lot of people is very personal. Yes. And so you really want to talk about it with someone that you trust. Um, you know, most of the time you don't talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but here we are. So, I mean, what do you what do you think as, as a woman about this issue that is coming back again and it's being questioned again whether you have this right? Uh, I think it's a complicated issue. Uh, first and foremost, there's so many different you know opinions about it even when this whole you know podcast idea came up and i started thinking about this topic you know i was asking myself how do i feel about it and at the end of the day i i do feel like the the benefits outweigh you know some of like the i guess negative perceptions out there um personally when it comes down to it you know you i should have control over my body um I didn't know that there was three appointed justices, you know, like the, the joke that you guys are running, like the three white men. I, I really didn't know that, that that's where that came from. So the it's kind of scary to think that three men out there are, are trying to make this choice for women. Um, but uh, when it comes down to it, honestly, uh, I mean, why shouldn't I get to choose what I do with my own body? Um, do I agree? that it should be used as a form of contraception no personally i do not um do i agree that there are certain situations where where it is important to have options these are life-saving options not only for your physical health but for your mental health um and if women didn't have these options open right now i, I think it would be a scary place for women yeah well, and and the whole reason, again, that this is coming up again is because of Texas, I think, uh, primarily. I think a lot of people have heard about what's going on in Texas. So essentially, Texas passed this law saying, uh, outlawing abortion, essentially. And the way they're doing it is by saying that anyone can sue someone that is assisting in an abortion. Mm -hmm. 
And so the doctor, the the receptionist at the abortion clinic, you know, all of them now are subject to liability in Texas if they assist in the process of abortion. And so that has effectively stopped uh, any services for abortion in Texas. And now, you know, women don't have that possibility there. Um, initially, the state of Texas in this law also prevented um, citizens or, or the state itself from bringing a lawsuit against this law. And the Supreme Court just recently said, no, yeah, the state of Texas or private individuals, they can, they can sue against this law, but we're still gonna leave this law be in effect and let the lower courts decide this issue. So essentially the court said, yeah, you can sue, but we're gonna let it let it happen and, and kind of see what happens from there. And so right now, you know, women in Texas don't have this option of having an abortion in their state, and everybody's scrambling about providing resources, providing options. Women are going out of state. Uh, New York, the New York uh, governor just announced, you know, a partnership to help uh, women in Texas get the, the care that they need. And so it's creating havoc. And and for me, it's like, I don't know. I, I I'm not a woman, but. As an immigrant, I, I it, whenever DACA was there and then it was gone and then it was back in court, that anxiety of not being able to plan my life yeah. uh, because we didn't know whether DACA was going to stay there or not stay there or, or it was going to change depending on who the president was. And I can just imagine like that crisis with, with women in Texas not being able to plan their life right now. Not only that, but they would have to like ask if they can't travel to New York, if they don't have the means or resources, they're going to find something that's not safe in their area. And that's even more dangerous. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's always been a health issue as well. But Texas is not the only case uh, that is going to be eventually come up to the Supreme Court. We just also recently heard a case in front of the Supreme Court from Mississippi. And so the Mississippi law essentially required um, or the Mississippi law limited pregnancy to no more than 15 abortion to no more than 15 weeks. So other court cases have essentially said that you can have an abortion up to 24 weeks. Mm -hmm. Mississippi wanted to limit that to 15. Furthermore, Mississippi uh, is asking the court to give that power of who can have an abortion and under what conditions back to the state. And so the Supreme Court has already heard that case. They haven't heard the Texas case. And whether it's legal or not, they just essentially said, yeah, people can sue against this law. Uh, but the Mississippi case has already been heard. And what we heard from those arguments and the reactions of the justices, a lot of people believe that the Supreme Court will move to continue to limit the right to an abortion. And right now it may just be limited to, let's say, 24 weeks to 15 weeks. But later on, how are they going to continue to limit that? Uh, and and to the point where you know it's not really going to be an option anymore, and eventually just completely take that right away. Yeah, it is scary. Um, you know, being a mother, mother of two though, when you say twenty four weeks, for me like that's like a six month baby, and that's just my personal opinion. So when the fifteen weeks is being brought up, although you know I personally feel kind of again it's just an uncomfortable topic. But once you start limiting, you know, to 15 weeks, you know, then it's going to be 12 weeks since like, when is it going to stop? So that's the scary part yeah. once you give control. So I know it's, it's hard. I know people, you know, are going to say life pro-life and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, um, it's, it's just hard once you give them the opening on controlling over women's bodies. Well, and, and, and that's the point. And I think that 
even though I kind of fell victim to this as well, and or not victim, but I, I'm doing the same thing, inviting a woman to talk about abortion. There's other perspective. There's other sides to this abortion issue. Like, why are we not talking about the men who are really happy that their girlfriends are getting an abortion because they don't want to be dads? <laughs> like, you know, why? Why is nobody asking men about that? Because I know men that have been very happy when somebody they slept with got an abortion because they didn't want to. First of all, I'm a family law attorney. Child support. <laughs> Nobody wants to pay child support. Very few people, you know, come to me and say, please help me because I want to pay child support. Right. Very few people. Most people are, you know what? I don't want to pay child support. So, you know, even though I invited you because, you know, we're, we're close. Yeah. I, I, my question is also, where's the where's the, the perspective of why are we not asking men why they're thinking about this and, 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 and what they're doing to support? women having this right because it affects them just as much as women i mean why are we asking men to get vasectomies at that if that's the point or or for example being an attorney what about if uh we give you know men who really are pushing you know the uh, the anti-choice anti-abortion issue what if we pass a law to give men a choice if you don't want the woman to have an abortion sign a paper saying that you are going to become responsible for that child and that the mom is not going to pay child support why not do that? You know, you know, if, if that law passed, how quickly men will sue against it? Yeah. Because that's the point. It's not about pro-life. It's about control. It's about control. Right. And, and another, you know, this issue of abortion, I think that we really need to start gearing away from the perspective of a woman's right. Yes, it is a woman's right. It is a right to privacy. But a lot of people are anti-abortion for other reasons. Yeah. A lot of people, and you've seen them on TV, how many interviews, especially during the Trump years, did uh, Fox do with individuals saying there's a lot of brown babies out there? A lot of people are anti-abortion because the majority of women that get that abortions is. in this country are white. And racist people need more white babies to combat against the brown babies that are taking over the country, according to them. What? Yes. <laughs> I there's have a not large, heard that one. There's a large group. It's called white replacement theory. Essentially, wow. people, racists that believe that the country is too brown and that we need more white babies. And we can't have white babies if a whole bunch of white women are getting abortions. Wow. That's one side. What about the side of the workers? We need more workers to exploit. And we're not going to have that if low-income individuals continue to have abortions because they're making choices about the way that they need to live their life and the quality of life they have. No, we need those brown babies to work and exploit. <laughs> so it's like, there's more there's more sides to abortion than just a woman's right to choose. Yes, there's that, but we place so much pressure on the woman where it's not just about the woman, it's about society and how we want to live. I know when we were talking about this earlier, you brought up like that there was different aspects. This like is that kidding me, by the way. What who <laughs> our drink this? of the day? <laughs> I did, I did. Sorry, guys. It's, it's, a, oh, it's a drink of the day, so we're gonna have a drink of the day, and I guess Luisa's bringing the drink. And today, Luisa, you want to tell us what drink you brought for us today? You know, for our topic today. <laughs> oh, I don't know about our topic, but what what did you bring? Um, it's actually my go-to drink. Um, it's Adios, motherfucker. Uh, I love it. It's, if you guys are listening out there, ever see me out in the club, AMF. I'm all about AMFs. Um, are we moving on to the history of AMFs? No, are we no, done? Yeah, tell me about this. <laughs> tell me about it. I just want to know Let's because, go. you know, the Azul, our pilot episode, um, 
we have a blue drink. <laughs> and so I think it's very appropriate to have AMF for our pilot episode of Azul. Right. So yeah, tell me about the history of <laughs> AMF. Tell me where people in Phoenix should go, get in, get in AMF. Do you have like a favorite bar for Adios, motherfucker? Honestly, uh, Club Downtown, right right around the corner from here. I, it's really fun. I uh, love the vibe and love the drinks there. But um, when I was researching the history, I mean, I've always loved this. It, it's just, like I said, my go-to drink. Um, I wish I would have found like more, a little bit more history. Like I wanted to know who created this amazing drink because I'm a big fan. But there really wasn't anyone who like took credit. There's like a lot of stories, a lot of comments on it. Um, it was created in the 1980s that... Uh, that I do know. And supposedly there was a resurgence like in 2016. I mean, personally, my resurgence I mean, for this you know was why, like right? in 2006. You know why, right? Why? 2016? Trump became president in 2016. I bet a lot of people oh, were like, yeah. oh, fuck. <laughs> Adios, motherfucker. <laughs> motherfucker. Like, we are, we are gone. Like, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, well, this has been my drink since 06, uh, ASU dates. But, you know, um, my favorite, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's a theory or comment. Somebody claimed that they knew who created the drink, which was, uh, someone who worked at TGI Fridays. Um, they had an alter ego named Loki. <laughs> I think that caught my attention first, but, uh, the original na name was Adios Madre. So oh. from Adios Madre, it went to Adios Mother to eventually adios which makes sense because you know how in spanish madre is mom but it's also like a toda madre to me it's like a natural interpretation and yeah. translation of it do you know how many liquors are in this though can you taste them um no i haven't had the ability to taste since my college days with you and so, <laughs> but i know it's strong <laughs> It's not strong. It's okay. It's delicious. I had a coffee, <laughs> but this works better too. Okay. So essentially, it's like a, a Long Island tea, really, but it's um, it's gin, uh, rum, vodka, and tequila. So it's four drinks. It has a uh, blue. I don't know if they say curacao or curacao. 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 Yeah, um, and Sprite. So. For me, at least, it's quite simple and delicious. Yeah, I stopped drinking a while ago, but I, I'm oh, sure it's a delicious drink. As I already conviene. drank half of it. Oh, <laughs> I have toma, half of the drink gone. Um, no, guys, I don't drink. I'm a very responsible person. Anyway, so let's get back to the topic. This adios, motherfucker, our drink of the day. Thank you, Luisa. You're welcome. And now let's keep talking about abortion. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. <laughs> or naive break. For no, I know. But uh, all kidding aside, I know you mentioned something which I found like super interesting, but it was like a lot of legal stuff. Um, that this Roe v. Wade wouldn't just impact abortion, but it would impact like other rights. Well, and and and, and that that's really the point. Um, that we talk about abortion and again the right of women to choose. But let, let's let's step back a little bit. Like, where does that right now exist? Because I think a lot of women, a lot of people, grew up and grow up with rights without thinking where that comes from. Right? Like, you don't you don't go to the bathroom at the mall right now and think, I wonder where I got my right to go into one bathroom with white people. You don't think about that. Mm -hmm. But there was a time where you wouldn't be able to go into the same bathroom with white people. Mm -hmm. But we live in a world where that's not even a thought in our heads anymore because we grow up with that right that something, someone gave to us. Um, now, of course, I'm Christian, so I think that we have a lot of rights naturally. But in, in this government, you know, mm. it, there needed to be a law. There needed to be a, a court case. And with 
the right to abortion, the right to choose, it was Roe v. Wade. It was this group, the Supreme Court, that said women have this right. And again, being an attorney, I know that cases built upon each other. So really quick. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, we have established I'm not a lawyer, right? Right. So just pretending that I've never heard Roe v. Wade before. Like, what is Roe v. Wade? Right. Okay, so Roe v. Wade. Essentially, um, there was a law that prevented uh, women from having an abortion. Um, and similar to the Texas law, held different individuals accountable if they participated in that. That was challenged in court because if you don't like law you have a right as a citizen to go to court and say i believe that this law is unconstitutional or i believe it violates another law etc mm -hmm. so then a group of people took this case all the way up to the supreme court and the supreme court in a case called roe v wade said women do have a right to abortion within limits for example you need to have the abortion be before viability is possible essentially if the child cannot live outside of the woman by itself, uh, it's still in the early stages, typically the first 24 weeks, then the woman can have an abortion after consulting with her physician. That's another thing because it did, it did start the right to privacy and the right to make that choice with your doctor. So then that's what it is. And then after that, this was in the 70s. So, you know, we were born after that. <laughs> so we were born after that. So we grew up already in a world where... We already had this and you grew up, I'm assuming, thinking, of course I have this right because you grew up knowing mm -hmm. that you had this right. Mm -hmm. But again, what is, it, what is it that's going on right now? This case of Roe v. Wade, how it led to women having a right to abortion, they first had to establish a right to privacy. And that right to privacy came from other cases as well. Cases where interracial marriage, you know, interracial marriage at one time was illegal. And a court had to decide for that to be legal. Yeah. Um, there was a case where Griswold, Griswold um, versus Connecticut, where people were suing a law that prevented married couples from using contraceptive. And of course, people sued. And that court said married couples have a right to privacy in their marriage to use contraceptives. And all of that built up to eventually Roe v. Wade. And so why am I mentioning that? That it's not just about a woman's right to choose. It's about a movement in this country where people still believe that women shouldn't have a right to choose, that women should still be home, that people should be segregated based on race. It's about all of that and going back. And there's still that going on. It wasn't that long yeah. ago that these people were supporting these types of laws. We're talking 30, 40 years ago. Many of these people are still alive. They had babies. They taught their babies to think the same way that they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so in attacking a woman's right to choose, you're also opening up the door to go against gay marriage, to go against um, uh, seg uh, desegregation, to go against everything else that court cases have built up to give us. Yeah. And that we right now take for granted because we ne we think, oh, it's not possible to go back to those days. Oh. It's very possible. And people want to go back to those days. Some people. That's the scary part. Um, honestly, some of, just listening to all this information, again, uh, I'm a person who doesn't like to watch the news, just mainly because you don't like hearing everything that's going on out there. But my takeaways, at least for now, because before I was very, it was it was contradicting, right? I'm like... Uh, yes, it's okay to a certain extent, but no, it's it's not okay because it's not like you said it's not a uh, issue of 
pro-life. It's an issue of control, control over one's body. Um, takeaway is we don't know our history. We don't know the consequences of, you know, going back, I guess, uh, the, to th how things were, right? Um, so honestly, it's, it's very eye-opening in a way. It is, it is. And I think it's something that we need to pay attention to. Um, and again, something when it comes to, for example, the issue of abortion, that I definitely do think it's time for people to stop putting all the pressure on women. I said, no, tell me what you think and why you should have this right. It's not just about women. It's about everybody else because in courts, everything influences each other. All the cases influence each other. And they may go after women now, but it's like that saying goes. They went after women first, and then that's, they're going to go after the next group. That's and, something that we don't understand. Like, right. I didn't know that until you're mentioning it now. But it's, I think, majority of us out there don't watch the news, are not informed, don't know the history, don't know the consequences of this. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, thank you for joining me. Are you going to down that adios? Are you going to do it with me? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm going to drink it responsibly. Mm. I did want to move on to something more uplifting, though. Oh, yes. Tell me about that. <laughs> All right. I know so, it's a, a Arizona, Arizona uplift. uplift. <laughs> We're not going to end with, <laughs> with a backwards message. Yes, tell me about Arizona that. Arizona uplift. Okay. So this morning, right? Uh, had an amazing morning breakfast with the family my suegra came over my nephew came over albert my boyfriend made an amazing breakfast so you know good eyebrow day great day for me today i didn't think it could get better so then i'm doing my daily dose of facebook um and then i read like uh sorry did you say good eyebrow day i did is say that a good eyebrow that's a if is you have a, a good eyebrow day that's a good day okay <laughs> you know they they ain't cousins they good look at me hold on see that that's yeah, a good yeah. eyebrow day where you listening on the podcast you can't see it but oh. yeah it, it looks good i forget there's a podcast <laughs> <laughs> when you have a good eyebrow day i mean it's a good day you, okay. you can't complain <laughs> continue no son primas they good okay so where was i oh um Yes, daily dose of Facebook. I read the Arizona Promise Program. So that's where uh, students, you know, with low income resources uh, get to get full scholarships paid for ASU, NAU, U of A, you know, tuition paid. Wow. Exactly. Yes, yes Francis. Uh, tuition paid. Uh, thank you, audience. Please. Yes. Oh, I'm going to put up the time. Well, Clap. Thank you. I'm Clap. Going to ASU next thank year. you, audience. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, that covers tuitions, covers fees. You know, like, I mean, not only is it like an amazing opportunity, this is not first come, first serve, first of all. You know, it's not a typical scholarship. It's it's saying you do your part and we do ours. Like mm. you get the grades, you, you know, do your commitment, make your commitment, and we will take care of you. I, I think it's like it's huge. It's mm -hmm. huge for Arizona growth, uh, you know, for future growth. It's for our economy. It's just, it. I have two boys, two very capable, smart, amazing boys. And when I think of, I started thinking about their tuition in preschool, you know, like I know my boys are going to go to university, but it's more of a burden. It's more of a stress, anxiety. And this morning <laughs> reading that, it was just, I was so happy just uh i mean an amazing opportunity if if it goes mm -hmm. through pushes through we follow through if arizona follows through with it yeah it's something pretty amazing well and I, i'm not sure um 
whether there's any sort of restrictions on undocumented students. I have to look into that a little bit yeah. more, um, but it's still a good step. Um, Arizona, especially for example, ASU, the number of in-state students going to ASU has actually not been good. It's mm -hmm. been it's it's been getting worse. Um, not only did ASU lose a lot of students when laws against undocumented students started to pass, hundreds of students had to drop out, but also because of the tuition increases, a lot of in-state students, they couldn't afford ASU. Mm. So ASU was just focusing on out-of-state nice. students because they were paying out-of-state tuition, which is bringing more money to the university. Um, so while, while we should criticize uh, the Board of Regents and also the universities for not making college more affordable for in-state students, I think that we sh should also praise this program because I, I know that it's I'm, it, it's going to help a lot of individuals in the state and it's going to open up a lot of doors. So thank you for bringing that story for with us. No, no, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, when you mentioned What is that, it called again? Uh, the Arizona Promise Program. And it's crazy that you say that because last year it says you had to look it up. Uh, only 28 of Arizona public high school graduates. This is in the whole state enrolled in a four-year college. And the rate was even lower for low-income students. So 28%, you know, that's... It's not even a third. Well, and the thing is that how do you, it's like a team, right? Like it's like a team. If you're the coach of a team, if you're the owner of a team, you have to consistently generate talent, look for talent. Um, and if you don't, your, your team is eventually going to, it's going to suck. And so <laughs> with Arizona, how is Arizona going to survive with le less than 30%, 28% of our kids going to college? Like the majority of us are going to stay in the state where we grew up. Yeah. We're going to stay here. And if the majority of us don't have a college education, that means that we're not going to be controlling the state. It's going to be other people. And yeah. so we need to get more people in school. We need to get more people yeah. uh, in, in our legislature from Arizona. So this is a really good program. Yeah. Our yep. education system is already you know, lacking in so many areas. I, I really do believe this is the first step to huge improvement. All right, and one more time the name so people can look it up because I'm sure there's a <laughs> lot of parents out there and students that are like, okay, where do I get my money? Arizona Promise Program. Look it up, find out information and, you know, just go for it. All right. Thank you so much, Lisa. You're welcome. To, Cheers. Thank you to your AMF, <laughs> AMF drink of the day. Drink of the day. <laughs> All right, Azul. Gracias, Arizona familia, for being with us in our first episode of Arizona Uplift, or Azul. My name is Daniel Rodriguez, and remember, on this issue regarding the abortion, it's not just about women. On the issue regarding immigration reform, it's not just about immigrants. It's about us as a country. Remember, one man, one vote was a court case. Who is a man in America was a court, a legal and political decision. Our right to privacy is a court decision. Who we live our lives with and how we live our lives is a court decision. And it's about that. A lot of people, especially those people that claim to hate big government, are fighting to once again let government into our lives, into our bedrooms, into our relationships, into our bodies. And it's not just about women. It's about the fact that babies right now are born to two women who love each other in marriage. It's about the life that that baby is going to have going forward and about the fact that there's people that want to go a different direction. They don't want to go forward. They want to go back. They want to go back to the days where women don't, women don't have that right, where women stay home, where people are segregated. We're always one court case away from losing the life that we are used to. So Arizona, pay attention, share your stories, and of course, join us for the next episode of Arizona Uplift Azul. Thank you.